You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life, reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time. Thank you for joining us this week as we continue our teaching series on the book of Revelation. Hey, we have been in this series in Revelation, right? And uh, we are in Revelation chapter 19 today. We have just a couple weeks left after this. Next week we've got 20, and then the week after that we've got 21 and 22 together. And so, I know that a lot of you are going to be disappointed that at some point we're going to move on past Revelation, right? It's going to be a lot of brokenhearted, down long faces. But uh, we've been in this series, and last week Aaron taught on Revelation 18, and we saw the beginning of the fall of Babylon. And this week we're going to see uh, celebration. There's going to be kind of a party going on this week in Revelation 19. And so we're going to dig into that and uh, go through some of those things. As we go through it, Um, there's a few questions that are going to kind of permeate and weave their way through the teaching today. And so I'm going to tell them to you up front so that you can kind of have them uh, percolating as uh, as we're going through it and help you kind of also know where we're going right up front, okay? So one of the questions is, um, what does it look like to celebrate the demise of empire, like the fall of Babylon, so what is, what is it that we're actually celebrating? And more importantly, what are we not celebrating? So we're going to go through Revelation 19, and as we go through it, we're going to see saints in heaven celebrating, angels bringing great news, uh, Babylon kind of getting tore down, falling apart, people getting picked apart by birds, some weird stuff, as we've seen in Revelation, that don't get lost in some of the words and sentences, and we want to try and help you camp out on overarching meaning or theme, okay? And so it's important that we look at those questions. What are we celebrating, and what are we not celebrating, okay? Now, I've got to be honest with you right up front. Uh, in Revelation. So going through this Revelation series, first of all, I've personally been learning a lot. Um, There's a lot of stuff that we've learned as I've gone through Sermon Club with Aaron and Marty and had lots of behind-the-scenes conversations with Aaron as I kind of hash out different messages and do my own study. But this particular one this week, for whatever reason, was a really hard one for me. It... uh, it just didn't make a lot of sense to me as I was going through it. And I have a really hard time personally preaching about something that I don't really grasp and understand. And so I'm just figured the safest way to go about that is just be transparent up front that I'm going to do my very best to communicate to you what I think are the main themes the important points that we need to take away from chapter 18 and try to do my best in a way that it makes sense. Because this is sort of a tough one, okay? So maybe not for somebody else, but for me, uh, I've just wrestled on it a lot to try and help it uh, land in a way that makes sense. So we're going to dive in, okay? Um, Let's start in Revelation 19. So you can follow along in your notes. If you're taking notes, there's a couple things you're going to have you underline and stuff, or you can do them in your Bible if you like underlining in your Bible. But we're going to read it up on the screen right here. After this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, 
Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah, the smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God, who is on the throne. Uh, seated on the throne saying, Amen, hallelujah. And from the, the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Uh, before we jump on, if you're taking notes, underline that. The bride has made herself ready. That's really important in this passage. And we'll kind of circle back to it and talk a little bit more about it as we get going on. Okay? So, moving on. It was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But then he said to me, before we hit that part right there, it's really important that we don't miss what's going on right here. Like we have this angel telling John about this crazy, huge worship service in heaven that's happening. It's like he is hearing what sounds like roars of uh, thunder, peals of thunder, this loud cry. I imagine in those movie scenes where there's like those uh, war movies and it's like the little tiny army that's going to get defeated, but then behind them, there are like 9,000 of their buddies come over the hill and you can hear them coming before they come and the enemies all start like, uh-oh. Like, imagine that kind of sound, like this just roaring army on the horizon, worshiping God. And John is hearing the angel talk about all of this. And in the experience, he's just like awestruck with what he's hearing. And he actually falls down and hits the deck and he goes into worship mode and he starts to actually worship at the feet of the angel. And the angel says this to him, but he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold up to the testimony of Jesus worship God. Like even the angels won't take away from God's glory. He says, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Then I saw heaven opened and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called faithful and true and in, uh, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood and the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure were following him on white horses." break there. John is writing this letter of revelation to these churches. He's, he, he's also the same author of the gospel of John. And, and in chapter one, verse one, he is the one that says that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And in, 
we're seeing this imagery of this white horse with the rider who's leading the, the charge in the heavenlies, then his name is the word of God, and it's Jesus is leading the charge of this heavenly army that's coming into play here. And he says, from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of the God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and with a loud voice, he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead. He said, come, gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, and the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, small and great. And there's, this is a part where... What we're about to talk about as we kind of dive into this chapter and what some of the things we're reading about are confusing, okay? And we're talking about them celebrating the fall of Babylon, the fall of Rome, or the fall of empire in general, this theme that they're celebrating the fall of empire. And here we see this heavenly army coming and it looks like they're taking out all of the actual people, and they're taking down kings, and they're, they're, uh, the birds are feasting on the bodies of these guys, both small and great, free and slave. And what we have to understand is that there's something bigger at work here. There is a greater theme in this message that we're going to understand. When we go back to those questions we talked about at the beginning, what are we actually celebrating, and what are we not celebrating? And so sometimes when we read through something just kind of at first glance, we can have an idea pop in our head like, well, it looks like we're all excited about these guys getting taken out because that's what this seems to be talking about. But we're going to dive into that a little bit more. Okay, let's keep going. Both small and great. And I saw the beast and the king of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured. And with the false prophet who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. And the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse. And all the birds were gorged with their flesh. So what we've got going on is this series of events in Revelation We've got the fall of Babylon, the fall of empire, and we've got this uh, celebration in heaven and the army coming forth to take out the kings of the earth and all these men, small and great, and the birds of the earth feasting on their flesh. This is like a scene at the end of a, uh, a war scene almost in a movie is what comes to mind, this great battle. And at the beginning of this chapter, in 19, we see the saints in heaven singing out hallelujahs. Everybody say hallelujah. hallelujah. They're singing out these hallelujahs. And one of the things I learned about as I was getting ready for this uh, sermon today was what those were called. I had not ever heard this before. So they're called uh, imprecatory prayers, what they were doing. That's church lingo for what was going on here. They were called imprecatory prayers. And what that means is 
an imprecatory prayer is when God's people cry out for justice from a place of injustice. When God's people cry out against oppression that they or other people are under. If you've ever read any of the Psalms, you've read a lot of imprecatory prayers. Like me, maybe. Maybe you knew that. I didn't know that. So I learned some new church lingo. And these are the prayers that they were crying out. These are the celebration that they were crying out to God. They were celebrating that this injustice had been overcome. And this is where we're going to come back to those beginning questions, okay? Now, I'm just going to ask you to hang with me because this, as I got ready for this, um, I had a hard time wrapping my brain around this. And so I'm going to do my best to help you understand um, what is going on here, okay? So sometimes for me, it helps to come at it from the opposite end first. And let's look at what they're not celebrating. What they're not celebrating, like what we're talking about is the fall of Babylon, all these kings in this story getting their butt kicked and people getting destroyed and all this stuff. What the angels and the saints in heaven are singing these hallelujahs, celebrating this injustice that's been overcome. What they are not celebrating is that the king who did them wrong is finally getting what's coming to him. What they are not celebrating with Rome is that Caesar who treated him so badly is finally getting what's coming to him. What they're not celebrating is that the Roman army who was so huge and amazing and could overtake any of them is finally gone and dead. That is not what they're celebrating. We're not making God's wrath about people getting what they deserve. What the saints in heaven are celebrating and what these hallelujahs, these prayers are about and what God is about in the end is to end oppression, to end persecution, to end suffering, to end distortions of the truth. And these are the things that are the foundations of empire. And when these things fall, empire falls. And what we're celebrating is the fall of the things that lead to empire. What we're not celebrating and what the saints in heaven are not crying out in celebration and joy, worshiping God because anyone that ever did them wrong finally got what they had coming to them. That is not the party in heaven. Let me explain it to you like this. Imagine the difference. I'm going to give you an example and we can look at it from the positive and the negative. Imagine if every person that had ever committed a murder got what was coming to them. 
Imagine how you would celebrate that. Every murderer got what they deserved. If you've ever seen any of the crime shows like we all have, or maybe even been a part of something horrible like that, it's, it comes to the end and they catch the bad guy and they get put away and they get punished and the families that are interviewed are always like, I, I had hoped I was going to feel more like resolve about it, like, but I just sort of feel like I'm glad but not glad at the same time. It doesn't look like celebration, right? Imagine if we celebrated it, what if we looked at it a little bit differently, Okay. This is where God, this is where John's trying to go with us in Revelation. This is what this hallelujahs are about. This is what the saints in heaven are celebrating. It's not that the murderers get what they've got coming to them, but there, there will be a day when everything that leads men to murder will be gone. That there will be a day when there will be no more uh, selfishness and envy and jealousy and hatred and greed, and the things, the roots in men that lead us to be evil to one another and separate us from God, that those things will be overcome, right? That you can sing about. That you can be like, man, I don't know about you guys, but for me as a Christian, there are days when it comes easy to me to praise God and to worship. There are days when it comes easy to me to love other people. There are days when it comes easy to me to want to be in his word. And there are a lot of days and a lot of times when it's not that easy. I have to work at it, right? How awesome would it be for the day to come when the things that divide our attention and, and steal away our heart from love and devotion to each other and to God, that those things just aren't there anymore. Like, we don't have a selfish desire in us. We don't have a, a greed thing in us. That we genuinely just wake up and love each other and love God. Now that is worth having a party over. That is something we can put our hope in. And if we're not careful, one of the things we can do as Christians, especially in America, is we can kind of swing the pendulum really far one way or the other. And we can land way over here on one side of the camp um, where people see us as uh, the super uh, amazing Captain America patriot. Like, we love our country. We, you know, it's America or nothing, and we go nuts because they won't celebrate the flag and on and on and on, all this stuff. And it's like, you can't come against our country because we're noble and we do good things and we care about just causes and blah, 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 blah. And then you can swing way over here on the other side of the pendulum, pendulum as a Christian, and be in this camp where you're like, you can't even be an American as a Christian because you can't swear your allegiance to a flag, you can't swear your allegiance to a country because you can only swear your allegiance to just the one true God in heaven and you can be on this like super Christian channel and you're just almost anti-patriotic. The reason that stuff matters is because those are the ways that people who know you learn about what Christians think about the future. Like, how's this whole thing going to end? What do you as a Christian put your hope in? What do you as a Christian care about in the future? Where is your faith going? 
Is it just so that you can have a better day today? What is your hope in? And when we camp out on one side or the other of the spectrum, that's how they see how we believe about the end. And if we're not careful and we're not hoping on the right thing and looking forward to celebrate with the saints in heaven that there will be a day when selfishness is overcome and greed is overcome and envy is overcome and that's not what our hope is in, then they can hear from our words and our conversations that our hope is in America something or following the right rules as a Christian something or this thing or that thing and it's not the hope that John's telling these people in Revelation to have. It's not what they celebrate in the end. You know what's crazy is throughout history both Roman soldiers and historians again and again and again have recorded that Christians were the best citizens. They were the most law-abiding citizens. It, and it just blew their mind. Like they just, they couldn't believe it. And you know what was funny is what blew their mind was not that Christians were like subversive or uh, rebellious. What Romans couldn't understand about Christians is that they were so law-abiding, but yet they would not offer incense to the other gods. That didn't make any sense to them. When the Rome came against the Jews, and the Jews felt like their God was being oppressed and persecuted, they took up arms and they went to fight. And Rome was like, that makes sense. We diss your God, you want to fight about it. Like, we get that. We come against you, you come against us. That makes sense. We speak that language. But when they come against the Christians and they try to trash their God, the Christians lay down their life. They don't take up arms. And it's confounding to the Romans and it's confounding for us today when we do it with people around us. In that day, Christians were willing to go to the arena. Not because they were sadistic or wanted to die, but because they were committed to living their life in a way that didn't come against anybody else, that didn't take advantage of anybody else, that wouldn't oppress someone else, that wouldn't fight against the worldview of their day because their hope was in something that had nothing to do with what was going on in their circumstances. It wasn't about if you could win the fight if you did fight back. It was that that's the wrong fight. That's a fight that's irrelevant. And they just looked and acted so different. And they, in a great way, thank the Lord for for them and for for us to the benefit of them, they stuck out like a sore thumb in a really good way. And that is, that's our heritage as believers. You know, Ancestry.com, anybody do that? Anybody? Come on, there's more than two people that do that. My wife says everybody does it. Just kidding. So Ancestry.com, you know, looking up your family tree is really cool and you get to see kind of where your people came from and your heritage of your family. Like as Christians, 
This stuff we're learning in Revelation, even though it's hard to chew on and sometimes it doesn't make a lot of sense, what we're learning a lot about is our heritage, our family tree as believers is full of amazing, faithful, enduring saints who stuck it out through some of the toughest times on earth to be a Christian. That's our family tree. It'd be awesome to say, my great-grandpa invented this, or my great-great-great-great owned all this, or whatever, but how awesome would it be to go, my great-great-great-great-great, however many greats it would take, was one of Paul's disciples. Like, if you could track that down, now that would be cool. That'd be something I'd put on the family crest. The problem with empire is that we often kind of come down on the wrong side of it. We want it to be okay to defend ourselves. We want it to be okay to get even. We want to be okay taking our safety and security into our own hands. We want that to be acceptable, normal. We want that to be good. We try to build it up like it is a good thing that we can take care of ourselves, that we've got our own families back, that nobody's going to come against us or else. And the problem with that line of thinking is it's not what's modeled to us by the readers of this book. The readers of this book modeled to us and showed us what it looks like to endure through suffering and persecution. And it takes us back to that deal we had you underline in uh, verse 7. In verse 7, it's talking about the bride had prepared herself for the wedding. We believe rightly that the bride of Christ is his church. That's us. And that one day, there will be a holy union of the bride of Christ and God in heaven. Not in a weird way, in an awesome, like we are adopted and become one with the Father forever, awesome way, right? The question is, what is the bride, us, what does the bride do to prepare herself for the wedding? One day that wedding is gonna happen. How many of you have got a bride? Anybody got a bride getting ready for a wedding? No, there's one. I, I have one. My, my only daughter is going to get married next fall. And already we talk a lot about wedding preparation. And so this whole idea of like getting ready for, uh, ready for a future wedding, like that's not that far off, right? The, that's how girls do it. So how do we as Christians, as the bride of Christ, how do we get ready for the wedding? What do we do? For a lot of us as believers, what we do is we think about getting ready, like how do we prepare ourselves? How do we um, become ready to be, you know, like even just we even look at it like on a more surfacey level as like how do we even get right to be, a, you know, as a Christian to be a part of a church or a part of a group or, you know, and then greater, like how do we get right to be ready to be with God? And 
just in our human nature, it's so easy, us to, easy for us to shift to this direction of like, it's not about like how we get ready is we prove ourselves to God. Like we have to prove that we're worthy of God's blessing, that we're worthy of that amazing relationship with God in heaven. And so we look at it like we got to spend our life dialing it in, getting right, trying to follow this perfect moral code, being correct about things. But that's not it at all. That's not how we see the bride preparing herself through revelation. The bride, the early Christians, prepared themselves for the wedding by enduring through suffering and persecution. They just flat hung in there. It's so important that we understand this. That for us as a church, for us as Christians, for us as small groups, that we hang in there and endure and stay the course and remain faithful to the faith we have in Christ. We may not get thrown in the arena. We may not get persecuted like we hear stories about persecution in other countries or in Bible history and stories, but our persecution comes in different ways. And the, the test remains the same, is in our situations where we're persecuted, where we're suffering, can we remain faithful? Can we endure? What does it look like when you had a job you love and your new boss comes in and he is an atheist jerk and is just rude and outspoken and mean and makes your life miserable and hates the fact that you're a Christian? How do you as a Christian endure real world? How do you endure in a relationship with a family member who doesn't know Jesus and acts like it, and yet you're called to love them and be in relationship with them? What does that look like? For us, we, this is such a, such a hard thing because we can say in the church that we know we will experience suffering. And we know that probably in America, in our culture, our suffering will look maybe different than what we read about in the Bible, but we will experience suffering. But we imagine that our suffering is going to come more in these little circumstantial situations. And it's going to come in little short spurts. And we can just hang in there and be faithful through these short spurts. Like we don't have to really endure much. We just have to barely exercise our endure muscle and just hang in there a little bit. Then God's sort of obligated to make it better for us because we did our part. And he might. But he might not. And then what? Then what do you do? 
so key as we go through Revelation that we catch these themes, that we catch the heart of the Christians that went before us, that, that they hung in there. And John wrote this amazing letter to him that was full of all this imagery and all of these stories and all of these visions to help them understand that there is something in the end worth hanging in for, right? And it's not, you're not getting out of bed every day hanging in there as a Christian because one day everybody that ever did you wrong is going to get what they got coming to them. You're hanging in there as a Christian because one day the stuff in people's hearts that leads them away from God and leads us to hurt each other and tear each other up, one day that junk is going to be gone. And we won't have to muddle through relationship with each other of being lack of confidence and what does somebody think about me and what is that person and the gossip and the backbiting and the hatred and the evil and the selfishness. We can just walk up to each other in the image of God the Father and just be like, how awesome is it to be here? Right? I can't even possibly imagine, like on my best day, on my best behavior, as tight as I've ever been with Jesus, I probably have got like a blip of time that I've had like that experience of not thinking stuff, not having junk stirring in my own heart, not wondering if somebody's thinking something about me and all the junk that goes on as in this broken world that we live in. It's so, so important that we get this. This, this shift in understanding what John is talking about here, the shift in understanding what Revelation is all about in the end, what the saints in heaven and the angel is talking about and what they're celebrating, the fact that, that we can understand that they are celebrating these good things and not that one day everybody's going to get what they've got coming to them, man, it changes our hope. It gives us a reason to endure because we know we're enduring for something worth hanging in there for. I don't want to hang in there to see my enemies get it because in the end, I would probably just wish that it would have not been so bad. When we have hope like this and when we understand what God's got in store for us in the future and we have a reason to endure, it changes how we do life here now. It is the reason that we stay in tough marriages. It's the reason that we dig in and work it out and we don't just go home and fight like cats and dogs and live at opposite ends of the house and avoid each other in private and in public put on a good front and just try to grind out life and hope Maybe that'll make it better. That's not what Christians do. As Christians, we fight for reconciliation. We fight for restoration and relationship. We fight for grace and compassion in our relationships with each other. 
These are the things, as God's church, these are the things that are going to help the bride get ready for the wedding. These are the things that are going to help our brothers and sisters endure and hang in there. When we build our world on empire, when it's about us taking control, figuring out how to do life our own way, fight for ourselves, defend ourselves, make our own way, we're on shaky ground. Because the empire will fall. And those that build their world like empire are building their house on a foundation of sand and it's not going to last. It's so important that we get this, folks. In a few minutes, we're going to take communion. And uh, so if they're going to pass communion, go ahead and pass it out. Um, while they're passing out communion, it's important for you to know if you're new here or um, maybe you've been here just once or twice and you kind of forgot about it, at Real Life we have what we call an open table and uh, when we do communion. And so that just means when we pass out the elements, the bread and the juice, it means that everybody is welcome to take communion with us if you love Jesus and you want to celebrate with us his death, burial, and resurrection. If you're a Christian and that matters to you, please take communion with us and remember what Jesus did for us. That's why we do it. While they're doing that, um, this is a part of the sermon where every week it sort of feels like it's time to kind of fold up your Bible, put your notes away, and kind of just get ready for what you're going to have for lunch while we talk about some stuff you can't remember and do communion, right? You guys tracking with me? But this, I, I want to do a little... Um, helping you understand what this part really is. This part of the sermon where we go through these things that Aaron calls them implications. Okay? I'm just a simple guy from Barnes Ferry and that's way too big of a word for me. Okay? So I call them like nuggets, takeaway points. Right? Here's why we call them that. Every week we go through the message and depending on your learning style and depending on what's going on in your head or what's happening in the relationship with the person sitting next to you, you may or may not have things really resonate with you during the sermon. That's just life, right? So we go through these things at the end of the sermon where we as a team dig in and chew on the message and we go, these are the things that you have to know from this sermon. These are the things we want our people chewing on and digesting and meditating on and learning this week to come. And so when we share these things with you at the end, my hope would be that you take them with you and they permeate your week. They find their way into your morning devotions. They find their way to your fridge. They find their way to your uh, file cabinet next to your cubicle. One of them that really resonates with you, you're like, man, that's, that's the thing I need to take away from this. I feel like God has really hit me on the head with that one. Cut it out. Put it somewhere you're going to chew on it this week. Meditate on God's word and grow in your understanding of the scriptures. 
And so each week when we do these implications or little takeaway nuggets at the end, I want to help you guys understand that when we prepare them, we're doing it from a place where we feel like this is maybe the most important part of the message because it's the part that you can take with you and chew on and the Holy Spirit can go to work with you this week. So with that, let's take a look at them. First one, God's agenda has the final word no matter what our circumstances look like today. That's why Paul can say that he has learned to be content in all circumstances, whether well-fed or hungry, rich or poor, with plenty or want, that he can do all things through Christ who strengthens him. Like he had come to the place where he had understood his circumstances, what was going on in life around him, wasn't going to change him and God. He's like, what he's saying when he's saying he could learn to be content, he's like, me and God, we're good. What's going on around me could be a storm. It could be the arena. It could be war. It could be a wife that wants to kill you. It could be a best friend that, that stabbed you in the back. It could be stress. It could be money. It could be a car that broke down. It could be you name it. But in anything, you can be content that you and God are right. And ultimately, your hope is in a better future than anything that will ever come here. Let's look at the next one. The reason we endure is because we show we have faith in God as the one who is actually writing the story of this world. When we choose to bail out, we give up, when we throw in the towel, and sometimes maybe not totally throw in the towel as a Christian, but we have an opportunity where it's an endurance test. Can we endure and remain faithful to what we believe and what we've been taught in this situation? And we bail. We're like, nope, that's too tough there. I, I can't go there. I'm not going to. I could endure over here, but I'm not going to endure in that. When we go through those things, what we're actually doing is we're, we're looking up to God the Father and we're saying, God, in this situation, this little thing you got going on with me right here, I don't actually believe that you're writing the story for this part. And the question we have to ask when it comes to that is, do we trust that God has given us everything we need to endure and remain faithful? Do we trust him? Let's look at this. My feelings, my thoughts, and my beliefs don't change the truth. Whew. I don't know about you guys, but I've tried to talk God into some stuff over the years, and I'm very persuasive, but I have met my match, right? I, it, we can get to this part where we kind of get in these little arguments with God, or we try to manipulate our circumstances. We even try to sometimes manipulate the word and the text to try and proof text and find just the right thing so that it sort of supports where we're trying to land in this situation. And we can get in these spots where we're like, really? I, I mean, I don't think God really wants me to be unhappy in this situation. Surely that's not God. I don't think God wants me to be really stressed out right now, does he? Like, what, what do I have going on with that? I mean, Surely God doesn't want me to tithe right now. I mean, my bills are really tight. Like that, There's no way he would want that. And we try to find text or manipulate or argue or talk God into seeing it our way. And man, what a blessing it is that what we think 
what we believe in our little nugget here does not change the truth. Let's look at the last one. The role of community is to pull us through times when we would otherwise quit. Man, I got to tell you, if you take nothing else away from today and maybe nothing else away from this Revelation series, like take this to the bank. Take this to the bank. You have got to be in relationship with other Christians and not, hey, I know some Christians, but the kind of relationship where there's five or six people that know you from the top to the bottom, the worst of you, the best of you, they could tell you what you're struggling with by the look on your face. Like nitty gritty people know you. Because when you're in relationship with people and they know you like that, there are times when you want to throw in the towel, you want to count it out, you're stressed out, you're frustrated, you can't do it, and they will pull you through. They will have your back when you didn't even know you needed somebody to have your back. This is more than family. This is Jesus family stuff. That's why we talk about all the time, you've got to be in a care group, you've got to be in a care group, be in a men's group, get in a women's group, be in accountability, and be in relationship with other people. This is awesome, and it's an important part of our walk as Christians, to be together corporately and worship and to hear the word taught and to spur each other on and to be encouraged as we see other people thinking like we think and doing like we do. This is a big part of being a Christian, but it's not all of it. The rest of it happens out there with a handful of people that know you and the good, bad, and the uglies about you and will walk through life with you and help spur you on and help you endure and celebrate with you. For parents, if you've got middle school and high school kids, if you can, we can all look back. Man, what a tough season of life. There's tons of transition. There's crazy pressures coming from every different avenue. They got things they're dealing with that none of us had to deal with, with cell phone technology and all kinds of stuff. Man, if you're a parent in our church and you have a middle schooler, high schooler, and you do not have them plugged into a small group at our church, can I just say, and I don't mean any disrespect, but you're crazy. Like there are people at this church that want to have your kids back and walk with them through the mess that it is to be a teenager, much less be a teenager learning how to be a Christian. Get them in. The worship team is going to come up and uh, as they're coming up here to get ready to close us out in worship, we're going to take communion together. It's so awesome that we can celebrate every week and remember every week that we can first be in communion and in community with God, the Father, with the Holy Spirit, and with Jesus. And that's possible because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. The sacrifice that he paid through his body and his blood. And that's what we celebrate this morning. So as this morning as we take the bread, we'll remember that Jesus took it with his disciples and he broke it and he gave thanks and he blessed it and he told them to eat it in remembrance of him. And then he took the cup and he told them that this was the cup of the new covenant and that they should remember him as often as they drink it.
This song that we're going to close with this morning is really cool because it's a really, really old song, several hundred years old. <clears throat> and it falls right in line with this theme that we're learning about as we go through Revelation, that, that the, the Christians that were reading these books written to these churches in Revelation were struggling to endure in their faith. They were struggling to stay the course and John used all this amazing imagery and visions and messages to help them understand that there is a better future coming. To stay the course, to endure, to have faith, right? And this message of hang in there is something that's this thread that's weaving through Revelation. And it's a message that resonates with each of us each week as we're learning about what these Christians read in, the, in this book that John wrote to them. It's, it's nothing new. And the people that wrote this song and sung it out hundreds of years ago and have been singing it for hundreds of years experienced the same thing we experience. It's easy to wander. It's easy to get off track. So as we're singing this song, we're going to have some folks standing off to the side on both sides and Gosh, if you need to pray about anything, if you got junk going on in your life and, and you're just like, I just need to pray with somebody, we will pray with you. Just come find us. If you need to get connected in community, if you need to get connected in a small group or help your student get connected in a small group, come find any of us and we'll do everything we can to help you find the right fit of people to go through life with as a Christian. I hope you would hear at our church that if you're here first time or a millionth time, I hope you would hear it's our heart's desire that you are in relationship with God the Father, that the Holy Spirit is helping you walk out life as a Christian, and that you are committed to be in relationship with other people for real throughout the week. Like you're actually living out this Jesus stuff. That's what we care about. The words of this song go like this. It says that we're prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to love the God, uh, leave the, the God I love. It says, here's my heart, heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. So as we sing this song, let's stand and close and worship together. And if you just need to sing out praise and worship to God, then do that. And if you need to pray with somebody, come pray with somebody. Let's finish strong. We hope you've enjoyed this message from Real Life. If you'd like more information on who we are, what's happening in our church, and how you can get involved, visit us on Facebook and Twitter, and visit our website, liferotp.com.